Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! This is the Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Faye, Jim Righeimer, breaking down the biggest stories of the week, talking about Biden's speech to a nearly empty House of Representatives chamber. That was fun. Talking about his family's plan and also his infrastructure spending, what he wants to do with that trillions of dollars. And then Republican Senator Tim Scott delivers the GOP response. And then here at home, the recall qualifies for the ballot. We know that, but who's going to be running to replace Gavin Newsom and who has a chance and then also Newsom quietly lifts the, his ban on indoor singing and chanting in churches, what that's all about. And then talking about Andrew Cuomo, that governor, worst governor in America in a lot of hot water, and why the new census numbers provide optimism for Republicans heading into the 2022 midterm elections. But, Riggy, obviously the biggest story of the week was Joe Biden finally gives his first speech to a joint address of Congress. It's not technically a State of the Union because it's in his first year, but it came after his first 100 days, and it seems like – Aside from it being really boring, he tried to claim credit for a lot of things that his administration had nothing to do with. Oh, c- claim credit. It was absolutely unbelievable. First off, the first half hour was the COVID hour. And, and you know, really, you talk about putting a downer on everything. He's trying to make it like, isn't this great what we've done and we've really moved ahead and, and all this stuff? And you're going like, well, what did you do? You, you got some vaccine out? I mean, he went, when he went through the statistics – you wanted to throw up when he sat there and said 1% of the people, you know, before I came in were, were vaccinated. Now it's 70%. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, and the question is. <laughs> were you in line giving the shots, Joe? I well, mean, right. It's like, what did you have to do with it? <laughs> Nothing. G- given that he and Kamala during the campaign were making fun of the whole vaccine effort. They were discounting Operation Warp Speed. But now he's trying to take credit for it. Here's Joe Biden this week. When I was sworn in on January 20th, less than 1% of the seniors in America are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. 100 days later, 70 percent of seniors in America, over 65, are protected, fully protected. Senior deaths from COVID-19 are down 80 percent since January, down 80 percent because of all of you. And more than half of all the adults in America have gotten at least one shot. A mass vaccination center in Glendale, Arizona, I asked the nurse, I said, what's it like? She looked at me and she said, it's like every shot is giving a dose of hope. Was her phrase, a dose of hope. 
Uh, Joe, I don't know about that line. I mean, he always tries to do these big lines that are going to be like the end of the movie when the, they roll the credits and here I am. And what's it like? It's like a dose of hope. Oh, Joe, shut up. I mean, it, 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 it's unbelievable. This guy has the gall to take credit for all this stuff happening. It's basically the shots are getting in the arms, getting done. What are they doing to not get the shots in the arm? What they're doing is, is having 200 people in Congress wear masks. Who all got vaccinated? Everybody in that room was vaccinated, and they're telling you you can. So, if you want people to be vaccinated, say I can get something out of it. Like, hey, I don't have to wear a mask. And what did I say? June first, I'm not wearing a mask. Now, again, when I say I'm not going to wear a mask, I'll have it in my pocket. And if someone in Target says, "Hey, put on your mask," I'll put it on. But I'm not going to go walking around with a mask on. I'm going to walk into Starbucks without a mask on. I'm going to walk in everywhere without a mask on. They'll ask me for it, and I'll politely put it on. And everybody, everybody needs to do that. Be polite, be nice, don't be argumentative, just keep your mask in your pocket and just walk in. Because once people realize we're done, the, the, you know, the, the politicians will get in front of the parade once they see which way the parade's going. But if you sit there and comply with a mask on once you've been vaccinated, you're an idiot. Well, and the other thing is the CDC this week announced new uh, guidelines. Again, it has no force of law, but the CDC announces new guidelines of what you can do if you've gotten the vaccine, and basically it was, well, you can gather in small groups outside and you don't necessarily have to wear a mask outside. And everyone's thinking, well, no kidding. Why would you wear a mask outside in the first place? And then, like, you look at the congressional chamber. It's three quarters empty. Everyone in there has been vaccinated, has a mask on, and is still spacing out. And it's like, if this is Joe Biden's America of slow, boring, overspending, and, like, Stripped down with no enthusiasm and no one present. Who wants to live in that America? Well, and remember what a mask really is. A mask isn't just a mask for a disease. A mask is a muzzle. They're really muzzling you. They're not letting you do facial expression. They're not letting you communicate amongst people. It's kind of like you're a bunch of drones side by side kind of walking through um, life and, and, and not getting with people. You can't go to a – I mean city council meetings. Your local city council, now some of them are meeting again, but you've got other ones that aren't. You can't talk with other people. I was on a city council. You need to be talking with the community. You need to be together. You need to see their facial expressions. You need to see where it hurts, what we have to do. They don't want that because you can get so much past when nobody knows what the hell's going on. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to do it politically, locally. They're trying to do it at the state level, and, and you've got to end it. So I'm saying – you, once you've been vaccinated, you've got your second shot, you give it the 10, 12 days, whatever it is, you take off your mask. And when you go somewhere, have it in your pocket, but you take off your mask and you walk in. You're not going to play this game anymore. We, we ain't doing this no more, Joe. The other thing is people under 16 don't need the vaccine at all. So now they're saying, oh, 16 and over can get it. But, the, you know, the next push is going to be to try and get kids in schools to do it. So here's Joe trying to offer some optimism about America being on the move again. America is on the move again. Crisis to opportunity, setbacks into strength. We all know life can knock us down, but in America, we never, ever, ever stay down. Americans always get up. Today, that's what we're doing. America's rising anew, choosing hope over fear, Truth over lies and light over darkness. After 100 days of rescue and renewal, America is ready for a takeoff, in my view. We're working again, dreaming again, discovering again, and leading the world again. We have shown each other and the world 
that there's no quit in America. None. 100 days ago, America's house was on fire. We had to act. And thanks to the extraordinary leadership of Speaker Pelosi, Majority Leader Schumer, and the overwhelming support of the American people, Democrats, Independents, and Republicans, we did act. Together, we passed the American Rescue Plan, one of the most consequential rescue packages in American history. This is such a farce. Okay, first off, Republicans did not support it. Okay, to say to say they got together again, and they it's, still don't. They still don't. And to say that somehow we are the rescue. These these elected politicians really think they control the economy. They think they have some clue. Listen, the the, the invisible uh, hand or what was yeah, that? invisible hand, invisible hand. I mean, it, things get done because they get done. You you get a product, you try to sell some food, you hire another employee, you do it. That they're so complicated. There's no way the government can be involved in it in any way, help it move along. All all it can do is subsidize, you know, money to it that it took from somebody else, you know, rob from Peter to give to Paul, and you'll always have Peter's vote. That's basically all they're doing here. And and so this whole thing of this Biden plan, he's somehow solving it. It's such a farce. And to anybody, anybody who's out there working hard, this is a slap in the face. It absolutely is. Coming up, Biden's family plan is about everything but families. GOP Senator Tim Scott delivered the GOP response to Biden's address and James Carville on the problems of wokeness. Be right back. Welcome back. It's the Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Fade, Jim Righeimer, AM 870, The Answer, AM 590, LA, Orange County, Ventura County, Inland Empire. Glad you're with us. Hope you and your families are safe and well. Talking more about President Biden's remarks to a joint session of Congress, talking about his family's plan, which is pretty much about everything but families. And before we get into the specifics of it, here's how he says he's going to actually try and pay for this boondoggle. How do we pay for my jobs and family plan? I made it clear. We can do it without increasing the deficits. Let's start with what I will not do. I will not impose any tax increase on people making less than $400,000. But it's time for corporate America and the wealthiest 1% of Americans to just begin to pay their fair share. Just their fair share. Sometimes I have arguments with my friends in the Democratic Party. I think you should be able to become a billionaire and a millionaire, but pay your fair share. What's the fair share? I mean, this whole come from of it now. There is truth about the Apples of the world, the Googles of the world, these companies yeah, that the pay Amazons. Amazons that pay like no taxes, no they, federal income, no taxes. federal income tax, right. and then there's some structure to how they can or they can't because of depreciation. They're buying trucks and stuff like that, and they get to write those trucks off after a certain amount of time. I get all that; that's fine. But there is a lot of the large corporations, especially the high tech companies, who can go ahead and say, "Oh, our patents? Well, they're owned by a company in Ireland." Where they don't pay any tax on patents, and our, our other income that comes through goes through another country that you know only pays ten percent tax, and they play all these games. That part I get. Well, right, and even like Allergan, which is based here, 
they had their manufacturing plant for Botox in Ireland. Right, right. They did that specifically for tax reasons, right. not because the Irish are better at making Botox. No, no, no. Well, horse, whatever. Anyway, no, but so they do that. But with the whole concept of that the individuals out there who actually pay taxes, okay, get the corporations that pay nothing fine. I'm fine with that. But when you go ahead and you go ahead and raise the rate to, you know, get rid of capital gains treatment or raise it to 40 or 50%, 60% when you had California tax on Think about it for a second. You've been working your butt off for 15, 20 years. You've got three dry cleaners, okay? You want to sell your three dry cleaners. Now, you're going to sell it for a million bucks. And people say, wow, they're a millionaire. And technically, they're making over $400,000. And what are they going to pay in tax in that million dollars? Uh, 500000 $600,000? Right. You throw in the state plus the federal, and yeah, if you, if it's you like, raise the capital gains rate and the tax rate on you know income yeah. and investment stuff, you're screwed. Yeah. So what happens in America is that there are people that one day in their life are, are a millionaire when they sell a business. On paper. They, on paper. Right. They sell something that they have. They bought a business. They, had, they, they bought a little fourplex, whatever. It's kind of the American dream, and it's that one-time shot, but you're considered a millionaire that day, and all of a sudden you get hit with a 40 or 50% tax. That's wrong. These people... People work for all these years to have this asset to now all of a sudden say, Uncle Sam wants you know twice as much as he wanted before. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay some tax. Of course you should. Most states were paying 20%. If you had an asset and you had it for more than a year or 20 years, whatever it was, you paid 20% tax. That's kind of fair. You know, I mean, I had it for a long time. But to go ahead and say, oh, no, you're a millionaire today because you just sold your business and now we're going to go ahead and tax it 60%. You know what's going to happen? People just aren't going to sell the business. Right. What really happens is is that they're just going to keep on operating the business. They don't have to sell it. They'll bring someone in to manage it. And so all this money that the that these these uh, woke people think they're going to get, those those transactions right. are not going to happen. And, right. And it, which goes to you get the exact opposite result of what you intend. Right. And so when you say to people, hey, if you make over four hundred thousand a year, which sounds like a lot in theory, but in Southern California. That's not a lot. You do the income tax and the property tax. That's taking a healthy chunk out of it. But the other thing is this is really a war on work because when you say, oh, corporations need to pay their fair share, all a corporation is is a group of people that filed a piece of paper saying we're operating as a corporation. Right, so get taxed twice. Yeah, and so when you draw no distinction between the Apples, the Googles, the Amazons, Jeff Bezos is fine. Tim Cook is fine. But those guys also are going to figure out a way to not pay these higher rates. So what's this money going for? What is what is Joe Biden's family's plan? Well, he wants to expand the child and earned income and child and dependent care tax credits. He wants to, of course, pay for Obamacare, $45 million for nutrition programs. For a billion. Billion, sorry. Billion. 20, $225 billion for paid family leave and medical leave. $225 billion for child care, Pell Grants, universal pre, free universal preschool, colleges and university groups. Um, two years of free community college, and of course, there's another you know nine billion thrown in for teachers. Yeah, so let's, let's go through this community college, okay? What community college out there costs what forty dollars a unit? A class costs you one hundred and sixty bucks. Uh, a a full time was what eight hundred dollars, okay, to do that. If you don't have it, it's free. It already is free, right? And who's saying? Community college is too expensive. We're, nobody. We're, we're going to fix a problem that doesn't exist. No, but we're going to go ahead and fund a bunch more money over to community colleges so they can do what? They're already taking care of people to do what they can. And if you don't have the money in California, community college is free. Why should my kids get, get free community college? Well, the thing which is so appalling is 
The kind of people who go to community college are often young and hardworking. They're working multiple jobs or just starting out. But these people also own iPhones, which cost $1,200. Or they're going to go buy shoes, which cost $700. So the idea that people who are in community college can't afford to be there is simply an unproven lie. Now, if someone comes forward and says, like you said, I can't afford it, then it's probably going to be free. But really, Riggy, I think at brass tacks, when you get down to it, what are these programs about? At brass tacks at the at bottom, they are not about improving things for people. They are about wealth transfers from certain parts of society to other parts. And really, they're either giveaways to unions or they are attempt to further unionize workers right. such as home health care workers. Hey, you know, your mom is going to become a union employee if she takes care of your grandma and grandma's house. Well, that's what we had in California. Right. Um, the, the, the purple union. What was it called? Oh, I don't know. SEIU, the Purple Union, they had – if so we had a program in California, we still do, that if your parent is sick or your child is sick and someone has to take care of them, instead of you sending them out to be taken care of, you can take care of them and you get paid that money. In California, you're required to belong to a union to work at your own house to take care of your kid, and they take money off the top. In this plan, nationwide – they're making it that if you get the home health care money nationwide, you become a union member. That's nuts. Right. And and what is the point of this again? This is to enrich unions, which give money to Democrats, to elect more Democrats, to pass more laws that help unions. So how is Biden going to pay for it? Well, he said he's going to tax the rich. We don't know what that means. He says people need to pay their fair share. This is the same line Obama always used for eight years. No one knew what it meant then. No one knows what it means now. So giving the Republican response was Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. Here's a little bit of him. Our president seems like a good man. His speech was full of good words. But President Biden promised you a specific kind of leadership. He promised to unite a nation, to lower the temperature, to govern for all Americans, no matter how we voted. This was the pitch. You just heard it again. But our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in... The actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. Yeah, that's the best line, platitudes, platitudes. Okay, that's our word for the day, platitudes. Platitudes is when you tell people, just BS. You know, I really think we should have clean air. Well, it's, yeah, it's words without we consequence. Should, we should have clean water. We should have good schools. We should have our kids taken care of well. We shouldn't have crime. Yeah, we agree with all those things, okay? Yeah. Those are platitudes. How are you going to go ahead and do it? How are you going to pay for it? How's it, how's it going to work out? And what Biden doesn't want to do is have some kind of plan to, to make that happen. He just wants to have platitudes, and then we're supposed to somehow figure it all out. Well, one of the more effective things that Senator Scott said was he cri- criticized the Biden approach of basically involving the federal government more in every area of your life. When all is said and done, it would lower wages of the average American worker and shrink our economy. Tonight, we also heard about a so-called family plan, even more taxing, even more spending, to put Washington even more in the middle of your life, from the cradle to college. The beauty of the American dream is that families get to define it for themselves. We should be expanding opportunities and options for all families, not throwing money at certain issues because Democrats think they know best. Infrastructure spending that shrinks our economy is not common sense. 
Go Senator Tim Scott. When we return, more from Senator Tim Scott. The, the recall qualifies for the ballot, and now everyone wants to be governor. Don't change that dial. This is the Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Fay, Jim Righeimer, breaking down the biggest stories of the week. And to finish up with Republican Senator Tim Scott, who gave the Republican response to President Biden's joint session to Congress. And one of the more interesting discussion topics was schools and school closures and COVID and whether schools should be open or not in light of what we now know about COVID. Here's Senator Tim Scott on that. This past year, I've watched COVID attack every rung of the ladder that helped me up. So many families have lost parents and grandparents too early. So many small businesses have gone under. Becoming a Christian transformed my life. But for months, too many churches were shut down. Most of all, I'm saddened that millions of kids have lost a year of learning when they could not afford to lose a single day. Locking vulnerable kids out of the classroom is locking adults out of their future. Our public schools should have reopened months ago. Other countries did. Private and religious schools did. Science has shown for months that schools are safe. And Riggy, that brings us to Governor Gavin Newsom and one of the main reasons why I think so many people were mad here and signed the recall petition. This last week we found out it qualified But I think what people are tapping into is this sense of outrage that classes are still not open full time for in time in in person learning. Yeah. And and you can open classrooms tomorrow. I mean, literally, you can open it tomorrow. But what it is, is the labor unions, the teachers unions control the state of California. And if you don't believe that you haven't. I mean, think about the, the, the hundreds of millions of dollars in dues they bring in. They spend whatever it takes to get anybody in office that they want to get in office. And so what happens is, is that the politicians just have no control. So your local school board and I'm telling you. 90 per, you know, I'm 95% sure your local school board, you can get rid of everybody there because everybody there is put in by the union. And if they're not put in by the union, they need to say that publicly because there's, there's the other group that are on school boards that don't want to upset the union. So they don't say anything bad. They just kind of acquiesce. They say, oh, I'm, a, I'm a good conservative Republican. Uh, but no, just say, listen, I'm against the union saying schools can't open. And, and it, all it would take was a school board to say for the teachers that don't show up on Tuesday, you're not getting paid, but they won't do it because they'll be they'll lose their their position. They'll be taken out. So that goes all the way up to the governor. The governor would never put his foot down and say it. Ron except, DeSantis, except for where did Newsom send his kids? Private school, and that school was open. Of course, the of entire course. time. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the hierarchy of people in the world and education and money and everything else. The people that have money are always going to be okay. They're going to be fine. They'll figure it out. In society, we have to worry about the people that don't have money. We have to figure out how do we have kids move ahead to do better than their parents did, uh, like the American dream of how do you do better? Well, you do better with basic education. If you are sitting at home staring at a screen, I don't know how a, th- how a third grader stares at a screen. I mean, it just can't be done. Well, and this is really unfair also for low-income and minority kids. Absolutely. Who maybe don't have an extra computer, don't have good home internet, like 
what are they supposed to do? You know, we've heard horror stories, not horror stories, we've heard depressing stories of parents having to take their kids to parking lots where there's, you know, spillover Wi-Fi from a Target or a Walmart or a, um, right. you know, uh, Costco or wherever. So they can have enough Wi-Fi for their kid to learn. And yet Democrats pretend that they are all for minorities and children. This is a lie. And I think people have had enough, which is why the recall qualified. And now the question is, what do we do about it? Yeah. So so how many families, we all know them, that you'll hear stories of people saying, you know what? When I was a kid, going to school was a relief because at my house, it was crazy. Might have been alcohol and drugs in the family, some other issues. But when I got to school, I felt safe. I had lunch there. Things were okay. Those kids aren't getting there, number one. Number two, if you're in that one- or two-bedroom apartment and you got a couple of kids, how you zoom it in there? I mean, you, you can't walk around. There's noise and everything else. Again, if you've got a nice big house, no big deal. So does, do the teachers' unions really care about the poor? They could, they could give a hoot about it. No, they just the other, don't. Right. The other thing which we've heard from Paul Martin, who runs Royal Family Kids, is this pandemic has been really bad for abused, neglected, and abandoned kids because when they go to school, the teachers are mandatory reporters who have to report child abuse. Right. If kids aren't in school, they might still be stuck in these homes being subject to abuse and no one is reporting on their welfare. This is one of the biggest problems with this whole thing, but you won't hear anything about that out of Gavin Newsom's mouth. Yeah, so, so let, let, let's use your real hard brain to figure out. You think when there's a lot of stress in a family and they're all stuck in a house, there's more or less abuse? Right. Yeah. That's not a tough question to figure out. There's probably more abuse that's happening. But again, if you're woke, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is okay. You know, we, we, we the ventilation system isn't good in the school. We need to spend billions of dollars to make sure that the air comes through just perfectly so the teachers can breathe perfectly so they're not – give me a break. Right. Well, and, and we've as we talked about before, there's been this sliding scale of demands. First it was we need a new ventilation system. Then it was, well, everyone has to be vaccinated. And the CDC came out and said – no, they don't. And then it was, well, we can't go back and teach. That's what the L.A. teacher said. We can't go back and teach until the school board, school district is paying for our own child care. Child care. And they caved. And Riggy, at the end of the day, it seems to be it's really not about COVID. It's not about the students. It's not about learning. It's really about money. Yeah, it's really never let a disaster go to waste. What's the line? And that's basically what they do. They, they've got us. They can get what they want. They need to get it open. The parents are screaming and yelling. But what we need to have also, these parents need to start showing up at these school board meetings. I mean, you need you need to get on, you know, uh, connect with all the different neighbors, and you're all starting to show up. All this woke stuff that they're teaching in schools now is getting out of hand. Everything's going crazy. You need to get down there. So when I was when I was on the city council, what I'd say is it's real hard for people out there because they're just trying to get their kids to soccer and, and, and do their job and all that, and so they just kind of want government to be taken care of. I'm taking that all back right now, okay? Right. The public needs to show up. If you don't show up, what's going to happen? You're not going to be happy with. You need to organize, get people down to school boards and says, I want my school open now. And, and, and I'll tell you, down here in Orange County, most all of everything's open. Why? Because the parents show up. That's right. But if you go to other areas, they don't show up. They're not going to be there. But I tell you, if, if, you're, if you're showing up, they will open the schools. Now, one of the things you can do if you also want to get organized and get involved and you have $4,000 lying around is you can run for governor. Now, That's right. Now, Riggy, we were talking off air and saying, hey, maybe we should do this. That might complicate our ability to be on the air here. But California is going to have the recall election. As we saw back in 2003 when Gray Davis was recalled, there were a ton of candidates. And now the question is not will the recall happen, but the question is how many people are going to run. Now, this last week we saw that Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, the Olympian, she announced she's going to run. 
And some people are thinking, well, maybe there's some upside. Caitlyn Jenner has some name ID. She obviously has some money. I don't think Caitlyn Jenner is going to be it. But, Ricky, the question is now, who is the most viable? Are we going with John Cox? Are we going with Kevin Faulkner? Or is it going to be some unknown person who is yet to emerge? Well, the whole idea of the Caitlyn Jenner or the unknown person is somebody that has some star power. That's somebody that has some name. Because, let's face it, a lot of people just haven't a clue who Kevin Faulkner is or Cox is or whatever. So they just don't know. Somebody that everybody knows their name. It makes a difference. People can go ahead and run and, and, and be uh, be backed. Um, the interesting thing right now is the big Democrats haven't shown up. And you know they will. They will because it's very close right now. The, the polling's out there right now that's showing that Newsom is like close to 50% approval rating. You need to be in the 60% to make sure you're okay. As soon as it kind of breaks through, you're going to see the Antonio uh, Veragosas and those guys say, hey – if if we don't run and and he's recalled, all there's going to be is Republicans on the ballot, and we have nobody there. So what's going to be fun? It's going to be enjoyable to watch the Democrats start, you know, eating their own. Well, to get in there, yeah. And at some point, you have to just say, as a matter of political practice, it'd be malpractice to not have anyone line up as a backup. Now, will this thing get over the hump? I don't know. I think by October, November, whenever the vote happens, California voters might be apathetic. But let's say they're not. Let's say they're pissed. If you're a Democrat. This has never been a better situation because it's just winner take all. There's no primary. There's none of that. You just, again, $4,000, get yourself on the ballot. Why the heck not? Well, What's to stop you? You're, you're, you're absolutely, you're absolutely going to see it. Coming up, more bad news for America's worst governor, and the census may give the GOP control of the House of Representatives. Be right back. All right, welcome back. Weekend Answer Show, AM 870, com, covering the biggest stories of the week. And one of our favorite targets for the last couple months has been New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo. And, Ricky, as we've talked about before, this guy has been in hot water, not only because he's sexually assaulted at least 90% of the women in, Allegedly. in New York, up in Albany, even his own staff, current and former, they've all come out against him. And yet he hasn't resigned. There are impeachment uh, investigations ongoing in New York's legislature concerning his conduct. But then this last week, the New York Times finally got with the picture and started releasing some information about how when COVID was at its worst, Cuomo's staff were actively covering up the nursing home death issue while they were trying to get him a book deal. And, Riggy, this was even too much now. And so the news this last week is that New York lawmakers are starting to push to repeal some of Governor Andrew Cuomo's emergency orders. This is a big deal because it's finally showing – a big Democratic state is actually pushing back against an influential Democratic governor. Yeah, well, so understand that you get emergency orders and emergency powers, and you can do all sorts of things without the legislature getting involved. And when there's you know, a nuclear reactor going down or there's some major disease, you need to give power to one authority to make something happen. This has been over a year now. This is not an emergency anymore. This is operation of government. So now you're starting to see the legislators at least say, hey, you know what? You can't do this or you can't do that. And they're taking the reins away and the rules away that he has. I don't know why they don't strip him of everything. But again, they're too afraid. They don't want to upset him. They're going to think if we strip him of everything, then maybe we'll lose the governorship in, in, in uh 
um, New our York. state, yeah. New York, which is not unusual. I mean, you had Pataki. You ha- you've had other you right. know, Republican governors. Uh, yeah, and you've got Republican governors in Maryland and yeah. Michigan, and you know, you've had them in Massachusetts repeatedly, so it's not unheard of. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Those states kind of look at it. They might pick their re- representative to be a Democrat or a more left person, but they want an adult to do the budget. Yeah, so what we, what that's we, the governor. What we learned this week from the New York Times, and this falls under the category, I guess, of better late than never, but we learned that some of Cuomo's senior staffers buried a scientific paper that reported the number of nursing home deaths. They blocked officials, health officials, from releasing the accurate tally, and they didn't publicize an audit of the data until months after it was completed. And while all this was going on, Cuomo's aides were actively pitching the idea of him writing a book about leadership on COVID. And what's so crazy is my wife and I flew recently, and in the airport bookshop, I saw the COVID, you know, Cuomo's book on COVID leadership. It's like, it makes you crazy to see this, but yet you're finally glad it's coming out. I think this is playing into this idea that even in blue states, people are realizing the governors are overreacting. Even in California, Newsom still has not lifted his emergency order from last March, but good on New York, and I'm hoping... These investigations go further, but you got to wonder at some point, like, how does Cuomo survive all this? Well, remember how how uh, horrible it was at the time. All your news is based out of New York. All your big broadcast companies are based out of New York, and they're having deaths left and right. And the reason they had deaths was that they let sick people go back into nursing homes. What what Cuomo's group did is they tried to not show them as COVID patients. So they'd say, oh, no, no, they died in the hospital. Well, no, no, they got the COVID in the nursing home. Right. And then you, he would go ahead because of money, because they wanted to get reimbursement costs down. They didn't want people to stay in hospitals. They took sick people and they said, no, go back to the nursing home and convalesce there. So then you can go ahead and spread COVID to everybody else who's over 65, 70, 80 years old, and they died. But what did that do to our whole country? It was getting a little crazy out here. When they're talking about these numbers, everybody, including myself, was going, oh, my God, we're dying left and right. No, they're dying out of New York in nursing homes. It wasn't happening across the rest of the country. As uh, uh, Governor DeSantis said in Florida, it took about a month to figure it out, to get some numbers and some data to say, hey, I just got to protect old people, and my death rate's going to crash. And it did. Yeah, But meanwhile, we went ahead and handed out control of all these states to these governors. And in California, the legislature has done nothing to get power back from the governor. Nothing. And what's also interesting about this and why this matters going forward is as a result of Cuomo's harsh lockdowns and mismanagement of the state, a lot of people left New York. People also left California and blue states, which brings us to the main story of why this all matters. Well, U.S. Census data came out this last week, and Riggy, it looks like the red states are going to be getting more congressional seats. The blue states are losing congressional seats. So what this could mean is this could make it a lot easier for Republicans to win back the House of Representatives and to win back the U.S. Senate. Now, there's a wrinkle in that. In these big blue states, the Democrats control how the districts are drawn, so they're just going to get rid of a Republican representative. But still, big picture, this makes it easier, and it shows – where people are moving, and that the red states are growing more than the blue states. Yeah, so let's make this perfectly clear. The, the blue states lost seven congressional seats. The red states didn't lose one. The red states picked up 
the seven congressional seats. So when the census is done, they figure out how many people are there for every 450,000, whatever, five, whatever the, you divide the number into the population is, you get, you get those numbers and you find out how many you have. California, for the first time in history, lost one. So, yeah, they, they can gerrymander a bit and do it, but it's harder. When you have less seats in your state, in your Democrat state, it's harder to gerrymander around and, and to push everybody. You know, here, Here's what they do, just so you understand. What you want to do is you want to have enough Democrats in, a, in an area to vote a Democrat in. And how you do that is you'll take a Republican seat and you'll make it super Republican. You'll suck all the Republicans out of that area and put it into one seat, so like 90 percent are Republican. But you take those Republicans away from those other seats, you get a chance for your Democrat to to win. And that's what gerrymandering does. Yeah, so six states are going to gain seats in the House. Those include Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, and Oregon. Texas is going to pick up two. And the states that are going to lose a House seat are California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Now, of that latter list, obviously Ohio is a Republican state trending more. Pennsylvania, toss-up state, and West Virginia, reliably Republican state. So, Riggy, this is interesting because even in the last couple months, there's been special election results. We just had that Iowa congressional race just decided like two weeks ago where the Democrat challenger threw in the, ta- threw in the towel. Um, and the Democrat majority is really, really small in the House. So flipping just a couple of these would be huge. And I think down at, at bottom, I think House Democrats understand this which explains why they are pushing so hard to pass all these insanely large bills while they have this narrow congressional majority in the House and then the tie vote in the Senate. Well, you know, this is I talk about that, that there's there's the uh, the evil party and the stupid party. I belong to the latter. Right. I mean, so what you have here is – But, the, Riggy, you're not stupid. Just well, I, all I, I tell you, the party – so here's what it is. You need to move your your positions forward. You need to move what you want to get done. The Democrats have no problem within 100 days to change the whole United States. Because once they got control of the Senate, the House of Representatives and the presidency, they're pushing through everything they can do. And if they have to get rid of the uh, the filibuster in the Senate to do it, they'll continue to do that. What, what Republicans don't do is when they get control – Take it forward and do something with it. Right. I mean, take it forward and lose, but just do something. Move the ball forward. They're not doing it. Now the ball has to be moved forward. Yeah, and the other thing is the Supreme Court has generally stayed out of the uh, the melee over redistricting and said, this is a political issue. Right. We are not going to scrutinize how districts are drawn, which has basically incentivized both Republicans and Democrats to draw the most insanely bizarre districts, like you said, to throw either all the Republicans in, into one or throw all the Democrats into one. But in these states where the Republicans are picking up the seats, they control the legislature, which means they will draw the districts. And in California, you've got this quote-unquote independent commission, which is anything but. But yeah, amazing to, to think that for the first time in California's history, we're losing a seat. I mean, that's hard to think of how that's going to be another reason for people to vote for uh, Newsom. Well, we've been saying for a long time, and you know from the U-Haul study of which way U-Haul trucks are going, that people have been leaving California. We've always known they're doing that. But the population kept on going up because of births and people from foreign countries coming. So the, the count would go up. But it, but the whole country's growing, and so they're not keeping up with the growth. So having people leave leave the state is is uh, not a good thing. No, not a good thing, and also not good for Gavin Newsom. I mean, his pitch is, I'm presiding over the economy that's crashing, and we're losing a congressional seat. Yeah, ne- never happened before, but I'm here, and it's over with now. Right. Coming up, some good news for your weekend. Be right back.
All right, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Republicans, Democrats, men, women, and everyone and everywhere in between. I mean, who knows? Maybe Caitlyn Jenner's listening. Caitlyn, if you're listening, we ask that you kindly drop out. You know why? Because there's no reason to vote for a Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner has accomplished nothing. We know what Bruce Jenner accomplished, don't we, Riggy? He had a great reality show, didn't he? No, I mean, he was in the Olympics. He was there. Oh, that too. Yeah. Oh, the Wheaties. Right. He was on the Wheaties box. Yeah, I mean, he? if you polled your average person, hey, who's Bruce Jenner? Oh, Olympian. I don't think you're allowed to say that anymore. I'm just saying because – I don't think – I think you can't say the name Bruce Jenner anymore. Well, but here's the deal. If you go back to the Olympic records, you're going to find Bruce Jenner. Oh, so when they say Caitlyn Jenner had a reality show and and, and was the Olympics, she wasn't in the Olympics. There was no person named Caitlyn Jenner in the Olympics. Is she still in a – she's not in a reality show? No, I don't think so. So she hasn't had a reality show No. I mean her life is the reality show. Here's the question. Does she date men or women? Well, that's what happened. You know, they first asked Bruce when he switched. He said, "Are you going to date men now?" He's like, "No, are you crazy?" No, he said, "He said, yeah, exactly." It's like, well, I don't know. You're <laughs> wearing like, a well, dress. We're not sure to right. excuse us for asking. Yeah, all right. Let's get to some good news here. Now, I've got a very heartwarming story out of Kansas. There's a city in Kansas called Liberal Kansas, which is you know kind of an oxymoron, given that Kansas is the most conservative state in the country. But after a tough 2020. A mom in liberal Kansas, Letitia Gonzalez, she had her four-year-old twins do something special that she thought would close out the year and maybe lead to something better than 2020. So her four-year-old twins, Luna and Gianella Gonzalez, they wrote letters to Santa, and they attached them to balloons, and they sent the balloons off into the sky. Now, Riggy, this is an interesting story even right there because I say kudos to the mom for making an effort, trying to do something special. You never know what's going to happen when you release a balloon into the air. It's kind of like you know, message in a bottle, channeling our inner sting here. Well, a month later, a grandfather living more than 650 miles away, he found a red balloon tangled in a downed tree. And he said, I dreamed all my life of finding a balloon with just a name and number and calling and saying, I found your balloon. This is from Alvin Bamberg of Shreveport, Louisiana. In late December, he was walking near his home, and that dream came true. Now, do we really believe this guy dreamed about finding a balloon? Eh, a, a, a bottle in the ocean, maybe. Right. I mean, the make, balloon went out of good. The bottle with the note in it, I get that part. Yeah, it makes a nice story. But he says, quote, I saw a note attached to it, and on this note, it was sealed with a single red star. And I thought, what is this? So I broke it open, and it was Luna's Christmas list. Interesting. Now, the balloon belonged to one of the twins. Her mother never thought anyone would even find the balloon, let alone answer the letters and Riggy. The great part about this is this guy didn't just find the balloon. What did he do with it? He bought them presents. He bought them presents. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> oh, this is great. They released the balloons on December 1. They went to Mexico for Christmas. When they got back, guess what they found? They got Christmas presents from this Bamberg guy. And he knew the list was important, so he did it. And he delivered the presents. And I'm thinking, what's the moral of the story here, Riggy? Get a balloon? Get a balloon. <laughs> Go to Home Depot, get some balloons. Go release them. I know what I'm asking for. What you know what you're asking for? I just want my kids to quit bothering me. <laughs> you're gonna put that in a balloon? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's gonna do it for us this week, ladies and gentlemen. Keep it here. So much news, so much politics, no fake news. We'll be back next weekend.